Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people here in Western Australia. Stories to inspire and guide you to take action to be all you can be. Today is a real treat, as my guest today is Dr. Richard Wally, OAM. Uh, born in WA and raised in Pinjara, Richard is a globally renowned performer, musician, writer and voice for Aboriginal issues and culture in Australia. Among his many, many achievements and awards, he's performed in 32 countries on all continents, received a Doctorate of Letters from Murdoch University, awarded Order of Australia, been named a state living treasure for his lifetime contribution to arts and culture, and is also Fremantle Docker number one ticket holder. But that is just the surface as the list goes on. Richard, welcome to the show. Uh, good to be here. Thank you. Um, as I did my research to meet you, it, um, I started to look through all the things that you've achieved and, and the awards that you've been given. And on one level, it was very impressive. And on another level, it was actually quite intimidating. Um, who is Richard Wally underneath all of this? How do you identify yourself or describe yourself? Uh, I'd have to say... I'm a, a very lucky person to grow up on the shirt tails and, and skirt tails of some very, very wonderful people. My, my mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers were, were fantastic people and they gave me lots of um, guidance. Uh, and when I say my mothers and fathers, my mother and all of her sisters and cousins were my mothers. And also we had adopted mothers as well, uh, older people who, who take you under their wings and same with the men, some of the older, older men who take you under their wings and they'd, they'd see essence in you and then they'd, they'd guide that essence and allow you to make some decisions yourself and make some mistakes and know that you've always got a safety net there uh, if, you, if you fail. And, and I think that, that's, that was my greatest... And, and still is my greatest asset. Is any time I look for a problem at this present, I'll always go backwards and look for an answer in the past. Right. And that's that's a fantastic thing, and that works for everything but computers and technology. <laughs> <laughs> so if you get glitches there, you know, there's always a phone call for a, you know, a, 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 you know, a doctor to come along, a, a technician, and fix it all up for you. Yeah. Yeah. Super. So you were. Born in was it Miracatha? Uh, Mikathara. Mikathara. Yeah, I, I was my my grandmother on on my father's side and my father uh, Yamaji, uh, and Yamaji's a a very big big area that covers into the Mikathara Mullawar up around that up towards Carnarvon. So it's a a big big chunk of of West Australia in the Yamaji mm. area. My other my mum's mother and my grandmother from. That side, the maternal side, is is Nyunga. So I was very blessed to be brought into the the two different nations of Nyunga Nation and Yamaji Nation. Right. Uh, so that that was quite uh, um, a blessing as well. But when people started brought up in Pinjara, we weren't actually brought up in a town. We were brought up in the bush. Yeah. And that bush area ranged out of Pinjara, out of Mandra, out of Varuna, out of Harvey, out of Rockingham, out of out of Medina out of Fremantle, so we, we lived out on the, on the outskirts in, in the bush areas. Um, so that, you know, that was something that when you get into the discussion you realise that you weren't in one spot, you weren't in, in, in the town and the, the surrounds. I think I was 16 when I first got into a house in town. Right. Yeah. Right. And what, what, was it, what was it like growing up at that time? Oh, it was amazing, because you'd You'd be waking up and to the sound of birds and, and animals continually. So you, you got used to that as being your, your your you just saw your alarm clock in the morning. You knew exactly what time which bird would get up or what sound would be created. So that was that that was amazing as compared now to you know which which truck's going to go past your place at five thirty in the morning <laughs> and which is six. Which so, neighbour's <laughs> pulling out your drive? Yeah, which neighbour's <laughs> pulling out drive? Well, you know what time they usually take off. So it, it is. If you take that into the into the bush setting, it's that 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 beautiful melody of nature that 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 you're surrounded with, and it's also you know, the, the smells and the, uh, the you know the the ambience of being in a, in, a, in a bush surrounding. 
uh, it was fantastic. Uh, it was challenging, challenging as well. I mean, don't get us wrong, there were times when you, you wished you had a house, when it was raining and windy and yeah. sticking hot and things like that, and you're going to put up with the mosquitoes and flies and you get ways of, of um, you know, get, keeping them away from you. The, I, I think there was, with those challenges, it, it made you very appreciative, uh, appreciative what, what what nature's got around and what nature is about, and that you have to do a little bit of work yourself and you condition yourself for those surrounds. And I think one of the greatest things you learn by living with nature and out in the bush is that you adapt to nature and its climate. Whereas the moment you get into a house, the first thing you do is, is fight the, the climate. So you'd get a heater if mm. it gets too you know, too cold, and you get air conditioner if it gets too hot. You don't allow your body to adapt to mm. those uh, extreme changes. Whereas you know, the birds and the, the animals are still operating as they did for thousands of years. They they got no heaters and no air conditioners, but they still survive and mm. and and. So I think those sorts of uh, lessons are ones you take throughout life. That you, 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 if you don't um, condition yourself to nature, you can decondition yourself, which could be a bit of a challenge in the, in, the, in the future. Mm. Mm. What was it like when you first moved into a house? Then was it at sixteen? Um, it was a bit challenging because when, when you're in a, in a house, you you start to realise that there's you know, there's a door and there's walls and it's it's bigger than what you're used to because our bush bush camps were smaller, yeah. um, put together pieces of you know bush and and, and timber around the place that, that my father would actually construct. Um, so you'd you'd see the size of it for a start, and I think other things you start to marvel at like. You know, you turn a tap on and there's water rather than going to a well. Um, uh, other things like you can you can actually have a shower now rather than everyone heat the water up and you've got that one bathtub that you all take it in turns with. Yeah. Um, those sort of things that people take for granted now that you you realise they weren't taken for granted. And just turning a light on. This is electricity rather than having a kerosene lamp that you, mm. you, you know, make up and... Uh, those are sort of um, simple things, and, and, and to have a fridge, they're, they're, all, they're all sort of luxuries that people take for granted now, but they, they weren't mm. for, for us. And, uh, I think the, that uh, at times um, challenge, uh, you know, if you're brought up with all these accessories all your life, you don't know what to challenge or, or how to cope without them. I think that's a bit of a challenge. Yes. Yeah. You, be, you become very dependent and very comfortable. Uh, very much so. Very much so. Mm. And I, I, I believe that that's why a lot of people are going back now for camping and bushwalking and spending a bit more time in nature because they, they realise that there's a fantastic essence about being out in the, in, in the bush and being mm. one with nature. And you, you have this, this feeling, whether it's walking through a bush or... You know, swimming in a river or an ocean, you have this this oneness with nature, which which grounds you very well. So from then on, once you you walk out of the bush or get out of the water, uh, you you take life in its stride. You're thinking, well, that that was really really good. That started me on, on a wonderful uh, footstep, uh, first footsteps towards the day. Mm. Yeah. What do you do to ground yourself now? We're sitting here in Willerton, not in... Well, now what I do to ground myself, I still do that. We still walk in the bush, still do some bush walks. I think that's, that'll never change. I think it's mm. fantastic. And, um, but I do a lot of heart work and a lot of music, and it's, it's always good. So you, you, you go in, in, in nice little mind journeys that takes you on these little, uh, little, little, little joints of creativity and I think that that grounds you a lot, and the, music. That, and the art and the music does that. So when you when you're into painting, your concentration's and onto that creative canvas, and uh, your mind's not on you know, uh, what's the next meeting or what I have mm. to prepare for tomorrow or whatever it is. It's it's in that moment that you're creating that, or if you're playing some music, you're actually in that 
zone of music that you're playing or if you're weaving or doing any of those sorts of things your your mind is 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 is, is relaxing it's, it's it's like it's like um i I've, i acquainted to clearing the desk then you can start over again mm. so whenever i work on projects i'd go in that project and i'd keep going and as you're going with the project you find you start to get cluttered so more and more things start to gather around you when you're on the project. Then when it's completed, you sit back and you're thinking, geez, there's a lot of mess here, so you'd clean all that off. That done, you'd see what, what it took to make that project. Yes. But once you clear it all out, then you're ready to, for the next one. It's done. Yeah. So the residue's not there from the last one. So you start all over again. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, so you were... 23 when you were selected to become uh, the chair of the Aboriginal Advisory Board. Um, what was it that brought that about and what was it that made you want to go and do that? Well, I didn't really want to do it. <laughs> I was actually, I was actually um, I was nurtured into it. Uh, when I first started this, you know, what made me is that the shirt tail of those elders and the skirt tail of those elders... Uh, they were around within my family, but also outside my family, because older people recognise when young people have got qualities or values or or potential, and they see that, and they they're very generous, uh, particularly those who have who've got a lot of experience. They're very generous with their knowledge and and their guidance, and I was blessed with that because I was open to it, and you're open to taking guidance from uh, people who, have, who do things very well. Mm. Yeah, it's a win-win. Because uh, so I was open to that. So when I got into into that that world of uh, social justice and, and political advancement for Aboriginal people and our, our young our people, and, and you know, it it was it was under the guidance of a lot of very good people. And so by the time it came to these meetings, I knew the structures of a meeting uh, as a young fellow, and I was you know. Uh, blessed to be pretty well educated. Um, I, I was able to then know how to get through an agenda or set up an agenda so that we can get some outcomes that we require so we can move on without readdressing the same issues over and over, which happened in a lot of the meetings at those times where people got stuck and you'd talk about issues and talk about them and then nothing could be done. Mm. Uh, uh, but at the same time, the, the advancement that, it, that the elders have made up to that, to, to that point and beyond were actually magnificent and fantastic. So I was able to just to bring a sort of a fresh, fresh uh, approach to it as a young fella. Mm. Uh, but again, um, by no means was I a puppet to, to, the, to the elders. It'll pull every string. But they, again, they allowed me to, allowed me to make decisions and they saw that when I'd make decisions, I'd, I'd come from a, a good basis, for uh, and an equitable basis, and not from a, uh, you know, a, a self-gaining mm. uh, angle. It was all about what's the good for the collective, and how we, as a, as a smaller group of, from the collective, can make things better for as many people as possible. And they saw that, and I still see that today. I still find that if you can do what you want as an individual, that's your choice. You can, you know. In, in, engage in, in in any form of arts or sports or politics or any professions uh, advance yourself personally which is a fantastic thing but once you get to a, a stage where your your advancement is there to share and you, you're able to pass some of that knowledge on I think that's the beauty of them of getting that stage and passing that knowledge on to other people so I'm at that stage where the elders now pass it to me and I'm passing back to, to, to another generations. Mm. Yeah. That's quite a gift, isn't it? It's a blessing. Yeah, blessing. It's a blessing. And so as a young fellow, my mentors, uh, very close to me, uh, warned me of the dangers of you know alcohol and cigarettes. And, um, so to this day, I still don't smoke cigarettes. I never ever smoked or, or drank alcohol. So that's something that you know my greatest guidance or the the dangers of the, the drugs that you may get involved with because anything you take into your body 
uh, it's, it's got a consequence. It's either good or bad. Mm. And if you realise that, then you know that to keep yourself balanced, you have to balance your diet, balance your intake, and uh, those sorts of things are very important because you, you know, those are the knowledge that that elders passed on. So that 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 balance is a very very good thing to to have. So if you take those balances into meetings, then you're looking at at, at how we can go forward as a as a collective. Uh, sometimes you have to make some very hard decisions because there, there may be a couple of times when people may not like what you're doing because they think, well, it's not good for them. Uh, and then you've got a challenge and they may have a bit of support. But if you see it's beyond them and it's good for the collective, that's what it's about. So that's How'd the difference get, between it. That's an interesting point. How do you get that <laughs> message across? Because you know, as I look, as I look across today's society, there's a lot of me, 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 me in it. And how many decisions are we making for a bigger good? Yeah, the, the there's two answers to it. One, do you have to be balanced with yourself first before you try to be balanced with everyone else? So you've got to know that even within your own makeup, regardless of who you are, whether it's me or anyone else, you've got to know that there's some challenges within your characters as well. You've got to know that there's 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 some things that. Um, you'd like to improve or you don't quite get why that occurs but you have to once you recognize those sorts of things and those sorts of challenges that's when you'll be able to go to and, and to, to a meeting or to a, an area and talk about what you feel is right and live with it and if you don't win that's that's fine but you you stay with it so there's lots of times I've made calls where I was completely voted out, and the majority were against me, and but I stuck to where what I believed. Uh, a lot of the times, it, it came out that you know what I stuck by was good, and the principles were right, and mm-hmm. I was proved right in, the, in in a lot of times, and a couple of times I was proved wrong. And that's how you learn to live with that. You, you learn to live with your own imperfection, and 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 realise that sometimes I could be wrong. Yeah. But right now, this feels right. But if it feels right at the time, and that's all you can go by. Mm. That's yeah. the first part you said. You've got to be right within yourself. You've got to yourself. be right within yourself, and you've got to feel that it's right. Yeah. And over the years, if you make, you know, make a thousand decisions and 900 of them are good ones, you're done good. Mm. Yeah. It's good odds. Yeah. So what, was there any particular, when you took over that role, was there any particular impact that you wanted to have, or anything specific? Not really, because when you uh, when you get, get nominated into a role, all the positions that I've held over the years, I've never actually um, put an application in. I've always been approached to be a part of. Right. Would you chair this? Would you be on our board? Would you be on our one? So I had that invitation, and that's a good way of going because that's a cultural way. A cultural way is. You get invited on because people see your expertise and they want to utilise that for the again for the collective and the greater good for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the beauty of it is that is that when you're um, welcomed into a situation, you're coming into a situation where everyone's quite receptive to what you want to bring to that that cause or that organisation. Mm. Whereas if you're standing for elections against someone or you're going to, it becomes that. Dynamics and competition that takes place, which is, to me, it, 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 it's quite healthy at some time, but not all the time. Uh, it's a, it's an area of, 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 of sort of sharing the load. My, my role of uh, chairing, and I've chaired a number of different organisations over the years, is to learn it as a collective, collective role of sharing and, and, and chairing. So I'd, I'd always have a, you know, vice president or vice chair or deputy chair and even someone in the stand-in. So what I'd do is we'd all look at what my committee or my board were made up of and and then I'd relate the agenda to their expertise. Right. Then I'd get them to chair that particular session. So that way they're the expertise on and they're, they're steering a session that their expertise on. That's why they're on that particular board. Yeah. So my role is not necessarily be to know everything and, and guide everything. Mm. My role is to get the, the greater good out of everyone on that 
link yeah, the agenda and link items. the agenda items up. Uh, so that's how I, I chaired my uh, committees and, and boards for a number of years. And what it did, it 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 made us a lot stronger as a board because each and every member knew that they were on and their expertise were, you know, were, were appreciated. Yeah. And and utilised. So uh, so when they took that that moment, they took it for what it was. We get an outcome and we move on. Um, and everyone was comfortable, and as I mentioned, there's sometimes you don't know, and uh, you'd go through a, to an agenda item, and one of the members would say, well, such and such knows this quite well, they've been involved with this area. I'd say, well, oh, that's wonderful, can you steer us and chair this and take us through? So you, even though sometimes you don't read what other people have done, mm. uh, but the collective know. And that's how we did it culturally. See, in, in the culture, we didn't have one leader, we had many, many leaders. Right. That would lead us through different subject matter or different uh, challenges, and that's that's how the, the culture operates. And then you've got the the, the best uh, person at the steering part for that particular challenge. Yeah. Mm. I was going to ask, but where did you get that insight from? Of being able to link stuff, and it comes from within the culture. It comes within the culture. Yeah. Within the culture, we we have this sharing um, and. Way of way of, of making decision and decision making, uh, and that's what leadership is about. It's about it's about sitting down and analysing a situation and thinking how we're going to manoeuvre our way through this. And if you you've, you've at times have a it's it's you know, you're you're up front steering it, and other times it's a relay where you pass the baton on and someone mm. else will, will will move it to the next stage. And does that also come back from living on the land and? having to deal with what's in front of you as well. Very much living on the land, because when you look at a, at a waterhole, it, it's, um, the waterhole is shared by many. You know, birds, animals, some plant. And that, that, that collective, what makes the waterhole unique. And mm. I, you always, people always talk about projects or something, and you know, what am I going to get from the waterhole? Well, what's around the waterhole? Mm. That's important as well. So I, I find that if you... If you know what's around the waterhole, and you know how the other parts of, the, of that, that around the waterhole uh, are inter, uh, interactive, then you you you've, you take that way of nature and bring it into into a boardroom situation. Mm. It's the same thing. We're all human nature. So there are some people would like a particular flavour or brand, and others don't. So you've got to find it. This is not about you, the individual. How do we do this as a collective? Yes. Then you, the individual, can make your own choice of which direction you want to make. Yes. Yeah. And how you contribute to the collective. E exactly. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating way of looking at things because too often it's it, we can end up with leaders of organisation and it's their way or the highway and And that's the problem with the politics as well. What you've got in politics at the moment, you've got two, you've got heads of of, of of um, you know, of parties and heads of organisations, and then then the whole image and brand is around those leaders, mm. and not around the collective. Uh, so the personalities of the leader reflects the brand, the, the brand. Yes, which I don't think is a very fair uh, reflection of of what the the collective are about. Yeah. And a good example of that, of course, is in, in politics. There's, there's sort of three parts to politics. I think the, the one is the personalities, which is very clear. You know, people are, I, me, my, my personality. Mm -hmm. And that's always about point scoring. And it's, it, there's two parts to that part as well. That, that what's, what's what my... Uh, expertise and traits are, and I want to highlight those, but also want to highlight what the weaknesses and or any faults that I can mm. see in my opposition. I'm going to I'm going to highlight and reflect those as well, which is it's not a very good way of going. Um, mm. Denigrating someone else is not a very good thing to do. Uh, so I think that's one part of it. The second part of it is that you 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 collected it as as a party policies. And you're, you're put down to oppose, particularly in opposition. It's always easier in opposition to talk to media and make comment on 
every subject matter because you're there to uh, what what the old cliches say to keep people honest, but you, you you're very much a, a nitpicker. Yes. And you, you're you're a nitpicker that magnify things that you find that may have no impact on on the subject matter, but it's it's, it's something that that's that's an opinion and trivia that can that can create a conversation and put a bit of doubt in people's minds. And I think yeah. that's a that's not a nice thing. But the third part which people don't see, which is way under the table and under all the politics, is that the politicians get on with each other. Most of them, regardless of what parties, will share the same hallways, the same dining rooms, they have conversations, they, uh, mm. they're decent people. And unfortunately, due to the system, the majority of Australians do not see the decency in our, our politicians. Mm. And that's probably magnified by our media as well. Very much so. Yeah. That likes to feed um, yeah. adversity, fear, and doubt, and very much so. And there's there's a lot of people feeding them that information as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There there are certainly times I feel when we b- bigger issues that may span a longer horizon than four to five years oh. of a term, and how how do we bring people together to? make serious decisions around that you know we talk about climate very much so I, I think the um, the length of time that you have to make decisions and put programs projects policies into place is, is, is far too limited in a political sense mm. uh, if, if you're running a business you know if to start your business off you know you forget about the first 18 months of it that's all the learning and getting into that new way of how you want to operate mm. and it's a classic case of your business start to level out about three years. In five years, you're quite productive and you're you're up and running. It's very rare for well, no government ever is comfortable for five years. This disruptive, even if they've got two or three terms, they had to disrupt themselves to go through the elections. Yes. So it's stopped. Yeah. And They're goes back. through this process, then we start again. So you're going backwards before you go forward. Mm. And you have to readdress a lot of stuff because if you've got play, uh, policies and programs in place that are working, you can't just stay with that and say, look, things are going well now. We're not changing anything. We're on a good road. Yeah. We're going to go to the election with the same we had last time. It doesn't work. No. So you've got to try to... People like new and improved. Like <laughs> new and improved. And how can you new and improve something that is not new and not improved because you're actually readdressing issues that have been around for, for decades. Mm. Yeah. So... With the, with this in mind, how how has the sort of impact that you wanted to make through this the efforts that you you have here? How has that changed from the twenty three year old to now? Oh, yeah, you, you you are you are who you are by learning from what you've done, mm. and as I mentioned, if you make a thousand decisions and 900 of them are really good but there's a you know, there's a hundred mistakes they're the ones that shaped you yeah. to where you are today uh, I have a little saying that experience is what you get when you don't get what you want so if you've been knocked back and been down a few times but you got up and moved on again that's experience you learn from it if you learn from those setbacks then you're progressing mm. if you don't learn and you give up and say well that was too hard I'm not doing that anymore. That's another decision too. So that's not a setback. That's saying I've had a go. Uh, I, I have a problem with people who don't have a go and think, "Oh, that's too hard." Okay, I've given up already before I started. Mm. Uh, I, I firmly believe it's a it's a wonderful thing to to go to the edge of your comfort zone and out of it, mm. and discover new things, and then then come back and say, "Well, that was quite exciting," and you know, I'd do that again or well, that was quite challenging. I'm not going to do that again. But yeah. you've had a go at it. Yeah. So as a young man, I toured around places like Europe and the US, but mostly Europe, where they didn't speak English at those stages, at some of the areas in, in, in Germany and in places like uh, France and that, where you, you were challenged. Um, you had to point to, to what you wanted to uh, order. And, and in those days, of course, the currencies were different. You didn't have the one euro. You had, oh, yeah. you had a lira in, 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 in uh, Italy and Pesantis, you know the francs France, and, uh, and, and the marks in Germany. And then I went to East Germany where they had East German marks. Um, hmm. So 
you have to rethink the value of what to compare to a to a dollar. Um, all those sorts of challenges that people take for granted, you didn't take for granted then. You had to think about it, mm. and that gave you a different outlook on a value system. So th- those sorts of being outside your comfort zone was, was absolutely fantastic. Uh, uncomfortable at the time, mm. but when you come back, you go, I've survived it. Uh, and, and thank God for being naive at a lot of times, because you, you do some things out of naivety that you, you'd never do now. Uh, yeah. you, you walked into places or around places, and particularly in places like New York, I walked into areas where people said, how did you survive that? Or, you know, I stayed in Inglewood in Los Angeles at times where the, the height of the, the gangs with the Bloods and the Crips were, yeah. had each other's throat. And I was in the middle of all that in, in, in an Inglewood hotel. Thought it was quite wonderful to be up and down. And didn't realise what's around you. So those, yeah. those sorts of things and, and uh, were, were quite sobering experiences because mm. when you look back and say, well, what could have been? Yes. What could have been is a lot of things, but nothing yeah. happened. You didn't. The intuition that I had, I felt safe. I felt, yeah. I felt secure. It's the same old bush skills that I had. I felt if you feel there's something a bit of dangerous over here, I'm not going there. So there were places I walked over, but wherever I walked, I felt safe. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say, I imagine that naivety was probably what looked after you as well. It very much so. It did. It because did. you're in a, you're in an exploratory, adventurous mode, which yeah. is not threatening to anybody else, and you're no. not putting that energy out to anybody. That's right. Yeah, no, and particularly in the Los Angeles era, I'd see the you know the young fellows on the street, and they'd wave, and I'd wave, and you know they they such a they knew who you were. You're not in their neighbourhood without, and I didn't know that at that time. Yeah. I thought you know they'd pick you out, and they knew I was from Australia, and I wasn't either on one side or the other. Mm. Um, and so those sorts of things were were quite good for me. Mm. Yeah. Where does the um the love of music and performing come from? Again, uncles and aunts. My aunt was a very good dancer. My uncles were musicians and dancers. Um, my father was a dancer, traditional dancer in, in that sense. So we are brought up with it. It's like it's, it's intergenerational with us. Um, mm. uh, uh, one of my uncles was a, a very fine accordion player and he'd play the accordion for the Aboriginal dancers and Yungar dancers down in the Pinjara area. Um, you know, and a cousin of mine was a very good drummer, and had other cousins who were guitarists, and so they, they were very fine musicians. I had cousins who were piano players, and, um, so it was brought up around us in that that sense. And singers have always been singing. We're mm. a very happy, happy group. We're blessed with that. Uh, so that you know that that music was ingrained in the in, in our DNA. And and what what was the decision like to? You know, go out and perform over the world and, and do that. How did that, how did that come about? <coughs> yeah, that world's performance came again by invitation. Um, I did a couple of presentations and performances here uh, and were invited to, because I did my traditional dance, when the traditional dancers from the Kimberleys and the Pilbara, and particularly the Kimberleys more than Pilbara, the Kimberleys would come down and do performance. They'd invite me in to perform with them because they knew I was a dancer. So they had a dance called a wonga, which is sort of a general general dance where they get people in and you all do your... There's a couple of set steps, then you've got some free-flowing steps. Uh, so they'd invite me in, but I was brought up doing the mirrors and my own dances. So that to, to come in to do, to do their dance under that invitation in the general public... That that was when I first started to come out and do some performances in there. But, but our mid-hour dances, we were doing those for our families and, and smaller groups for quite a while. Mm. And before we, uh, you know, before we took it nationally and internationally. So it was really homegrown on that and, and, and support from our, our family and friends. So when you do your, your, your performances, it's like the conversation of a meeting or we said before, You've got to do it for yourself first and feel that what you're doing is the right thing and you go with the energies and that's what it's all about. And it's always been the same. And uh, again, a lot of the performances have been absolutely fantastic. A couple of you, 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 you know, you cringe and think, gee, that was horrible and I, 
I'd never do that again, or I should not have done that. But but you did it, and you learn from it. You know, so that mm. it was always not always always you know, lights and and posters. It was sometimes it was just little little performances here and there, and sometimes uh, you think, well, I'm glad that's over. Yeah. 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 Was um, the dancing performing another way to get a message out across the world, or mostly it- through mostly through um, through music? And through through the, the the microphone and telling the stories of the dance and the performance, we do it in such a way that it was inclusive, so people can relate to it. And I think mm. it, it's always it's always good to, to to share sort of social injustices around the world, but unless you can acquaint it to where people can actually associate themselves with it, mm. you're going to miss the mark. Right. So you you. you Humanity is a wonderful thing. You appeal to people's humanity by saying, if you're a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, and your young child sibling was taken away, how would you feel? So rather than talk about the state of stolen generation, say well, the whole family was, was broken up by this, you say, well, how do you feel about someone taking your newborn away or your, your, your five-year-old goes to school and they don't come back? Mm. So you put it into those sorts of stories and songs and those areas that's a social justice and, uh, and you'd find that people can relate to it. And a lot of people in Australia were very um, uh, unaware of the, the Aboriginal history that's around them and they're still unaware. Mm. Uh, so, so you take the opportunities, <coughs> take the opportunities through dance, through songs, through music to relay a lot of these messages. Because you find that people listen to them and want to go deeper into those songs. I think the classic was things like Archie Roach's Took the Children Away was uh, appealed right across the world. But before that, there was a song by Bob Randall called uh, Brown Skin Baby. They took the brown skin baby away. So the, those songs make <coughs> social impacts around. So we wrote our versions of it and take those around uh, to our communities, which people can relate to. And the non-Aboriginal uh, people can relate to as well. And I think that was the the beauty of of, of the the performance and the, and the, to show that we may have advanced in many areas, but we've still got a strong foundation in culture as well. Mm. So a lot of our cultural presentations are still linked to you know, the, the the sixty thousand years that we've here. We've still got that same same language, uh, using the same type things like the boomerangs and the spears. They're still here. So those iconic links to the past are very important, but we also got some advancements that we take into the future. You know, the, the, the using of wool for plaiting of, of dance gear, the, um, the didgeridoo, which is introduced to us from the northern parts. It's a, it's a part of our tradition now, not part of our heritage and culture, but it's, it's mm. part of our culture and tradition now because it's intergenerational. Uh, those sorts of things, I think, have, um, uh, were very, very good for spreading a message and one of the good messages for, particularly the didgeridoo, which I use a lot of, it's a message of how we used to share in this country before settlement. We shared with, with different parts of our own different communities. Mm. And by b- being blessed to you know, play the didgeridoo by the traditional elders, it, it's a link to what's been happening thousands of years where they gave blessing to people to do other things well before uh, the didgeridoo was invented. Yeah. It's interesting what you said there about there's a lot of um, sort of white Australians who don't understand um, Aboriginal culture and heritage. And you know, I I myself moved here seven and a half years ago from mm. England, and, and although I have an Australian passport, mm. I still don't quite. Well, I, I don't, and I'm being very open and honest, and that's mm. one of the reasons why I wanted to come and talk to you today. How? Does somebody like myself start to learn? Well, I, I think the a one way of looking at it is this, is to get the subject matter that you know well and look into that area because there's a vast array of subjects that you can talk about within Aboriginal culture, mm. whether it's the arts, the social justices, the the sciences, the, the politics. Um, there's a lot of different different genres. But I think if you're interested in things like, say, for example, storytelling, mm. uh, if that's what you're interested in, you look at, well, what's the traditional storytelling method? Why was it linked to place, purpose, people, 
plant, you know, animal. Mm. Uh, what's the connections there? And if you look at those, some of the Western storytelling, the greatest Western storytellings are in literature and in the religious areas, in, in things like the Bibles and the Korans. You look at those storytelling places, they're actually telling you what happened and giving you guidance to go forward. Yeah. Then you equate those to the stories and the, and the guidance that go forward that we have in our historical stories and traditional stories, you'll find these parallels. So we do have our parables, we do have our examples, we do have those those guidances and also the you know, the warning signs. They're all there. That I think that's the beauty of, of taking a subject matter and you say, well, okay, these have been handed down for X amount of years, you know, the, 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 the Sanskrit's been written down and that survived, all this Latin's been translated. Ours is one of the rare ones that has survived without any visible interpretation. There's no paintings uh, about the stories uh, in the vast areas. There's, each painting has a story, don't get yeah. me wrong. Each carving has a story, but some of the greatest song lines and some of those things were never ever written down. They'll pass from generation to generation and they got stronger as they passed down. So I think those are the sort of things that you can acquaint to, and you, then you, then you realise the beauty of a story that survived for thousands of years, uh, by being handed down from you know, person to person, mm. as compared to someone that writes it down and makes sure we keep it alive for the future. Yeah. Well, it was our responsibility to keep our stories alive, and we took that responsibility extremely serious. Uh, and I think that's again where we started. As we started the interview off and, and, and the talk, the conversation we're having here, we started off by saying, you know, what's making me, it's, the, it's those who've gone before me who've handed that down. The, each generation have a responsibility to hand down, particularly the essence of the culture, the language, the dance, the stories. And if you tap into those, then you'd find that the culture itself was a very, it came from extremely strong foundations. Mm stronger than the, the foundations that any European um, you know, introduced foundations ever come from. Yes. And I think that that's the, the essence of, of, of culture today. And the Western world and the European world and the Australian world are starting to understand that and being receptive to it. So we're quite blessed now to have these conversations. If you wanted this conversation 20 years ago, you'd be talking to an anthropologist. And so how did the Aboriginals do this or what did the Jungas do? Yeah. So we're getting to speak directly and, and people are getting first-hand information. And it's like, it's like anything that you, you acquaint to, whether it's, uh, you know, denial is, is, is a horrible thing. Once you get past that denial and accept that something has happened, we accept that there's a history here. As, as, and Australian people accept that there's a history. A lot of it's unsavoury. It's not very good, but let's face up to it. Mm-hmm. Let's see how we can move forward. Uh, we've got to include Aboriginal people in the conversation and the discussion as, as equals and not as, well, look what we've done now, let's have, see how we, how we can rectify it. Uh, and I, I believe that that's, the, that's sort of the way forward now, is that a lot of the organisations, the people in these organisations are starting to embrace Indigenous knowledge mm. as, as, as a way of going forward rather than looking backwards. Yeah. Because it's an opportunity to tap into years and years and years and tens of thousands of years of knowledge and history that's been carefully passed along. Hmm. Whereas I find there is a certain, at times we can have a certain level of arrogance that we know how things are going to map out hmm. without necessarily consulting the past. Uh, exactly, exactly. And that, that sort of ignorance and arrogance is it's at the forefront of a lot of, lot of failures. And a lot of people get blamed for things that they weren't a part of the decision of, but they're a part of the process. Uh, I use the old analysis. The early settlers, when they came here, if they were were psychologists and uh, you know an, uh, an, an analytical skills of just standing back and says, "Where are we at the moment? What are, what are we coming into?" They'd have taken some notes. Yes. And some of those notes would not have been the economical opportunity of look at all the trees and land that's around there that we can take advantage of, which they came and saw. Mm-hmm. So it was really economical opportunities that, that, that drove them. And not 
social building and social balance that was around them. Because what we have here, we had a balance between mm. p- person, nature, There place. wasn't that looking at the waterhole and who's around it. That's right. Or I own the waterhole. Yeah. People saw the waterhole as, as an asset. I'm going to build next to the waterhole, so that's my waterhole now, not ours as a collective. Mm. That, that sort of attitude was on the first one that's taken. I think the other one that was taken is that the, the, the ignorance and, and arrogance and, and stupidity of not seeing how a system operated effectively for thousands of years and tap into it was just absolutely ludicrous. Mm. Uh, you came from a place that was in chaos. You came from a place that was, you know, been embroiled in warfare for centuries. And you come to a place where there's no warfare. You say, well, how did you, get, how did you all get on with each other? That's the first question rather than saying, oh, well, you know, we, we know better because we've got the superior uh, attitude and mind. And Well, you actually had an inferior hmm. attitude and mind. Because you, you didn't have what the, the structures were existing here that had economical, environmental and social harmony that were all enwrapped into, into each other. Mm. So we didn't have to have the prisons. We didn't have to have the hospitals. We didn't have to have the government agencies. We didn't have to have the organisations to the parks and wildlife look after nature. We didn't have to have any of those because it was ingrained and installed into every person as part of their belonging and responsibility. So that is something that the Western world could not comprehend. Mm. And even to this day, they can't comprehend. Uh, And a lot of people are starting to realise now, hang on, if we took that same structure and system that operated thousands of years ago and operated before we came here, uh, maybe in 2,000 years or uh, 1,500 years' time, we'll we'll be able to operate a society without any jails. Uh, so those are sort of simple little questions that you've asked yourself, and the the, the st- even stats will show you that you keep going the way we're going now. It's, it's not sustainable. Absolutely. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even think we need stats for that. I think we just need yeah. to ask ourselves deep yeah. down. Yeah. yeah. So that that's that sort of you know information that's already in, ingrained into the DNA of indigenous people are still there to be shared. Hmm. So, what are you? What's your focus nowadays? Um, we we sit here in your art room with <laughs> tons of stuff around. Uh, my focus is it switches about five times a day. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it, uh, and 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 that's good because if you if you you know got got one focus, yeah. Uh, particularly when you get older, you, you try to get as much done and much focus as possible. So there are some. Artworks that I've I'm working on and, and, and got to get out. There's a a couple of uh, consultancies that I'm working on that that, that need designs and structures and engagement and infusion designs and structures which I'm I'm working on. So my focus is to take the knowledge that I've acquired up to this stage, apply it and hand it on to someone else and a couple of other people I'm working with, so they can take that knowledge and then then you know hone it themselves and and that's how knowledge and and the culture is alive you don't take everything with you you, you you've got to build that that transferring of of, of skills and knowledge mm. and I'm at that stage now so where when I'm working on stuff I'm working with other people in a collective passing that knowledge on superb yeah what have you um what have you learned about yourself along your journey very simple I like me but I, I can't stand my type <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, what it actually means is that you know yourself what's and all mm. in that area. And uh, you'd know yourself that you could try to justify something that you, you can't justify. Uh, that, um, but because it's part of your nature and ingrained, you accept it at that. So if you're... If you're drawing up a model of, of an ideal person, you'd probably have in your own mind probably you know, 75% of that ideal person be in you, but there's another 25% that's not ideal. Mm. And that's human nature, and that gives us our, you know, our, our imperfections. 
And if you live with your imperfections, you're, you're pretty well okay. Mm. So I think, you know, that's, that's how I sum things up is that you have to embrace your uniqueness and don't try to clone yourself onto someone else. Uh, and and that, let people know that uh, you're not the perfect specimen. You, you, you do the best you can. Mm. You've made a lot of decisions and a lot of them came out to be very, uh, very good decisions. But there's a couple of them that you cringe about and think, gee, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Yeah. If you could um, go back and have a quick chat with a 20-year-old Richard, what piece of advice would you give him? Uh, the same thing. I think, you know, the, the hypotheticals of going back is... Yeah. is, is uh, Here's a hypothetical, and I, I don't yeah. entertain that because there's experience that's going to come along when I'm 25 that the 20-year-old would not have known about yeah. that made a difference to to your lifestyle. Hmm. Uh, I think decisions you make uh, at times, um, you feel it's very good decisions. I think the younger you are, the more uh, the more in the word of, of your own a sense of id. I think the the older you get, the more community-minded you get. Hmm. But human nature, particularly with children, when they're born, all they know is themselves. It's it's about me. Hmm. And then they learn through the process of sharing. So the world expands as you're growing. So your, your first world is just your family and a, a small little world. And then your friends and the school start to expand your world. Hmm. Uh, and the, the the broader you travel, the broader your mind gets. So I, I always say to people, if there's an opportunity comes up, think about it, not too long, and take it. And if you learn from it, if it's if it's a good thing, great. If it's not, if you if you're going to analyse it far too much and think, well, there's, I don't know what's going to come out of this. Um, uh, that's not living. That's existing. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's the difference. You know, you got to to live. You you take some risks. To exist, you maintain a a custom. Mm, stay comfortable. Yep. Yeah. Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Ah, oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been super insightful. No, thank you. Thank you very much.